Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Everyone squats, yeah. whether you know it or not. When you sit down in a chair, when you go to the toilet, when you pick up something from the floor, and that can either break you or it can make you. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a movement by Laura podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so that together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings around us. Today, I'm excited to talk to my brother, John Frank, a physical therapist, a movement specialist, kind of my guru. So I hope you enjoy our discussion today He's a biomechanical, anatomical wonder and um, super physics nerd. He's fun. Let's meet John Frank. Today is my special guest, my brother. Not only is he my brother, he's my triplet brother. That's right. There are three of us. And John is on the identical brother to our triplet brother, Miles. John is also a physical therapist. He is also a big lover of movement. He and I ran cross country together in high school. We played together, obviously, since birth. I always tried to keep up with him. He was this most stellar athlete. And so I'm so excited to have him on today. I think this will be the first of many podcasts with John Frank. Welcome, John. Thank you. That was very kind. <laughs> okay. Um, Nepotism is yeah. a lie. Right. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. So let's start from the beginning. Uh, you and I were both always interested in sports and movement. And um, when did you first consider yourself an athlete? Probably a real athlete, like a pretty good athlete in 10th grade when I started running cross country and got pretty good at it. Um, I was, you know, my brother and I, you know, were pretty good in basketball and soccer. I, I wouldn't say we were the best. Uh, we were like comfortably in the top, like 30 percentile, 30%, <laughs> not in the 10%. Um, but with running, um, I, I think it's a combination of some runners or go to the sport, distance running I'm talking about, because 
frankly, they're not as good in basketball and football sometimes, or there's just don't have to make for it. But uh, certainly running is very athletic and to make it at the top, you have to be um, not only pretty athletic naturally, but you, you have to have a good work ethic. Um, so I think, um, I think that allowed me to excel in running to a certain point, not in college, which is a different level, but in high school I did. And uh, I think that's when I considered myself a good athlete, probably in 10th grade when I started running. Mm -hmm. And do you feel like, like many athletes do, did you feel like you became attached to the idea of yourself as a runner? Yes. Yeah, and that yes. was your, yeah, that was yeah, your that was thing. identity. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, I wouldn't say, I mean, I, I don't think it was my only identity, but it was no. probably the most important one or one of the most important. Um, definitely. I mean, wh whatever you do, if you get good at something and you get rewards, uh, there are intrinsic rewards to exercising, like feeling good by yourself. It's just endorphins, feeling in good shape and all that's intrinsic. And that's all I have right now, so, which is yeah. good. That's, yeah. that's plenty though. That's plenty, I mean, it's, right. For most people, that's enough. And that's really the biggest reward. But certainly when you excel at something and you, do, you get awards and you get that other feedback. kind of feedback, yeah. that becomes a positive feedback loop that you try harder and you want to maintain that feeling of uh, doing well. Well, let's just stop there for a second. Let me just talk a little bit about what you referred to. He got uh, awards for running. He was very, very good at it. He's being very humble. Extremely good at it. He ran in college as well. But he's also um, a natural athlete, which I think does help. Like he, uh, we'll, we'll get into yoga a little bit later, but he started um, taking yoga just because I suggested it and coming to one of my classes. And he, he did. And I remember the first class he came to, he was in the middle of the room trying to hold a tree pose and kind of wobbling all over, but was extremely determined to stay in it. And then, you know, five years later, he could go through the primary series of Ashtanga and like, just um, totally smoke it. He was amazing. So he, ha I think John has always had that natural affinity with the um, understanding of the body and body mechanics, which I think probably in part led you to be interested in physical therapy. I will say that I had a big part in that. Do you yeah, want to tell yeah. a little bit about what happened? He, John was studying for medical school like our other brother, uh, Miles, our other triple brother is a doctor. And John was studying for the MCATs and what happened? I, I just decided that I, I don't remember, like it was like one, it wasn't like one epiphany. It was more like I wasn't, I was a nutrition major and public health major. It was public health with emphasis in nutrition at University of North Carolina. And um, there were a couple of tracks. <laughs> boo with, hiss, boo hiss. I went to Duke, sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You had a really cool major actually. Yeah, but yeah. Um, uh, I, I liked the major, but I've, most of my classmates were going into uh, to be a RDA, mm -hmm. uh, registered dietitian, um, or a uh, or going to med school. Um, and I just, I, I think I just realized that I, I didn't really have. I, 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 it was almost a default for me to go to med school um, because my dad was a doctor and I really hadn't given much thought until, I'm not sure what you told me, but you just said something. I said, why are you going to med school? You could go to PT school, it's only two years and you only I, have to take the GREs and it's yeah, a better I, lifestyle. And I was actually, yeah, yeah, it was more like a, uh, it was, seemed like it, still in the health field. Mm -hmm. um, I had taken most of the, a lot of the classes that were prereq, prerequisite for med school also uh, was also prereqs for physical therapy school. And it's, yeah, it's t 
two years, two and a half years master's at the time. I, I'm really glad I made that decision. Yes. Uh, we don't get quite as financially reimbursed as doctors, but it's much more rewarding. Uh, it's much more, uh, it's, you be, you, uh, it's just more, it's more fun to really get to a lot of times the sources of the pain uh, and not just uh, necessarily do surgery or medication or shots, which sometimes can be helpful. But when you look at how people move and their postures they hold and how they do things in the kind of repetitive way over life, over day-to-day stuff, you realize that most of uh, um, uh, a lot of the pain syndromes are microtraumas from poor movement, poor posture over time. And sometimes there's an, you know, an, you know, some traumatic accident, like you tear ACL if you're playing soccer. Even though that's a traumatic accident, they've shown through studies that if you if you do a set of kind of preventative ways to like a protocol, a protocol, mm-hmm. and they've done this with women's soccer team because yeah. that women's soccer that's a big issue to ACL tears. They go through this warm up process, but more importantly, these basic exercises that really uh, emphasize stability in the hip and knee and the, and the kind of all three planes, uh, which you need to, when you, in soccer, especially when you have to buttress forces as you change directions and kick the ball, it, it really prevented or it decreased the rates of ACL to, for the teams that uh, incorporated this kind of, uh, this protocol by tremendous amount. And a lot of this is developed by physical therapists. And I think what John's getting at is it is more satisfying in a lot of ways being a physical therapist because of your interaction is uh, much more, it's longer, more direct, more profound than I think doctors have the time or is really their setup to be. So we we really are, I would say we're educators in a lot of ways. I think that's our main, yeah. that's mm-hmm. our main, our, our main function is to educate and you have to educate yourself. So you're constantly reading stuff. Um, yeah, John, I will say, let me interrupt you for a yeah. second, because I want to give a little background, because John is, a lot of people will say, well, who do you who do you learn from, Lara? And I'll say, my brother. And he's going to probably blush, but honestly, he's like one of the most genius people I know um, in the sense that he's always learning, always reading, always investigating um, the most recent, not only literature and findings, but and then, and then having kind of this discerning point of view, like not just taking it for granted, but looking, reading a lot of other things as well. And, and then incorporating all that and gelling it into his own kind of hypothesis or, or the way he practices. And he just has, he's just a fountain of knowledge. And he's also, I will also just tell a little bit more about John, because you'll see him kind of divert and go off in different tangents that I always have. I always feel like I'm translating for him, for the layperson, um, and sometimes I don't understand what he's saying. But he really is into um, quantum physics. Am I am I right? Is it quantum physics? I, I, yeah. I'm into all physics. He's into um, all physics. He's he loves evolutionary theory, and he's super into science in general, and not only anatomy and biomechanics, but all kinds of science history. So he's just kind of a walking encyclopedia. And so that's where I think it'll be so helpful for people when they, once they hear, hear you, they're going to be like, ask John this, um, because you really, you really have such an incredible breadth of knowledge that you not only learn it um, and apply it, but then you, you really remember it. Yeah. And um, well, thank you. I mean, yeah. I, I think 
I'm naturally interested in it. So mm-hmm. you, you kind of get a, uh, when you learn about other sciences, there's these, these hidden connections between them and it, it makes them, uh, you know, it's more just fun. When it you is know, more, when, it's more interesting than just being like, you too. I have, here's a hip injury and what would you do? But like looking at all the different aspects and, and looking beyond just what's in front of you, but applying the different, um, the, the quantum physics to understanding, you know, mechanics of the hip and why something might be showing up in the hip, but it's not actually the hip. And, and yeah, I mean, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's fun. Evolutionary biology is very interesting, uh, in itself, but it really gives you appreciation that, um, We've been, our ancestors, hominids, I'm talking about our cousins or direct ancestors, we've been on two legs for, they think, seven million years now. Uh, and That's and bipedal two legs, people. Bipedal, yeah. yeah. So, so it, And <laughs> yeah. it really makes you appreciate why the gluteus, medius, and maximus are very important humans, more important than, than chimpanzees, gorillas, orangutans. Um, because of being bipedal, it makes you appreciate all the different um, adaptations in the the knee angle, the foot, um, the kind of twist of the femur called uh, torsion, antiversion, retroversion, um, and just makes you appreciate, especially uh, the glute, which is not as uh, is not gluteus, is a very important uh, muscle. I'm talking about basically though twelve different muscles that kind of in three layers that incorporate the gluteus complex and how that's very important for functioning you know, athletically as well as preventing and injuries in your all your hip as well as downstream and the in the knee knee and ankle and upstream in the lower back. John and I are both very into the glutes. It's I think yeah, most people I think are most people now. are now yeah. Yeah. they yeah. So and those are and now it's it's getting more into the um I think the common yeah, it's effort. Uh, yeah, uh, it definitely. Yeah, I would say. And so, if you're a yoga teacher and you're still telling people to relax their glutes, please stop doing that because they really actually need to activate them. But you might be onto something, and that you don't want them squeezing the sacrum. But that's a little bit different. Okay, let's go into yoga a little bit. But I, on a side note here, we actually have a fun little game in my family where we want to see. We could talk about anything. Like, here's this. What do you think about this new drink? And John will somehow, um, within a few paragraphs or a few minutes, will be able to relay the evolutionary advantage or disadvantage to something, whatever you're talking about. It's really funny, actually. So we should actually have a game show with, with you on it one sure. time. And what is the evolutionary reason for this? Because he knows it all, folks. Like, like what is the evolutionary reason that you know, what, your butt goes numb when you're sitting in the car? Da-dun-dun. What would you say? Uh, well, there could be a few, uh, you know, you have to, uh, there is a piriformis muscle that can um, tighten up where the sciatic nerve either goes underneath the piriformis or through it. A lot of times uh, people assume that it's tight. Sometimes it can be loose. And if your legs, if you're a woman, especially who knees go in or across each other, it's, it's probably a loose piriformis, but it's the same mechanism with the sciatic nerve can get Do you think that's, that was like there because they didn't want you to sit for too long? <laughs> well, well, sciatic nerve is right under your piriformis. Therefore, you shouldn't be, it's like a hot button. It's certainly sitting is not really, uh, it's sitting in the chair. Um, it's not what we've been made for. Uh, there's um, Daniel Lieberman at Harvard. He's an anthropologist, evolutionary biologist. And he has a, 
he came up a term, I forgot what it was called, but it's, it's a host of different maladies that stem directly from our lifestyle, um, either dietary or posture, sedentary and stuff like that. So, yeah, so, but it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it could very well be the hamstring too, the hamstring insertion into the uh, issue of tuberosity. You sit too long, you can get kind of what we call proximal hamstring tendinopathy, which can be very similar to sciatica. One of the, I mean, one of the things that you, uh, that sometimes um, you have to realize is uh, certain certain things present similarly to each other, like sciatica and maybe a hamstring tendinopathy. Also, sometimes different biomechanical and movement dysfunctions, like say your hip goes in when you're walking or or running and the hip goes in, that can cause knee pain, it can cause hip pain, it can cause back pain. Um, So different problems, sources of of mal-movement or poor movement can cause different symptoms. And sometimes the same symptoms can be caused by different sources. So you have to be very tricky. You gotta be very careful when you have to kind of puzzle solve. Yeah, I I think that's, and that's why it's people identify with, uh, I have a bad hip, my right hamstring is tight, but it's so much more complex than that. And that's where I think you do a really good job. I attempt to do a good job at um, deciphering what is actually happening. So it's it's not so cookie cutter. So let's also talk about, so, in addition to being a big evolutionary junkie, which again, I think it would be fun to have a game with that. Uh, you were into yoga for a while, very yeah. into Ashtanga yoga in particular. Very, very strong, amazing, beautiful practice. You taught it and then your practice did not injure you per se, but I think it set you up for their ultimate injury where you um, herniated your disc in your low back. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely set me up for it, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, unfortunately, um, you know, I kind of neglected my yoga. Most things in itself can be good or bad depending on how you do things. Uh, I think Ashtanga puts too much emphasis on spinal flexibility. There's too much twi- bending and arching and twisting and the spine is like a coat hanger. Uh, you do, you bend it enough, it's going to break. The spine is better thought of as a, a place for to transfer forces uh, through the body. Um, as say you're running, you have to, or you, know, you have to transfer the forces from the ground up through the body without leaking energy, which means without uh, uh, just wasting energy instead of going and, and, and moving in too many directions instead of just trying to go straight ahead in case you're running. So the lower back has, I think, has been kind of um, been not properly understood, not only by some yoga um, practitioners, practitioners and, but also bodybuilding and crunches, mm-hmm. like strong core. Everyone wants a strong core, but they've done, there's a big study by Stuart McGill, who's a great uh, back specialist, probably the most famous in the world, where he measured uh, firefighters. He was measuring different parameters, and they, he found that, uh, the firefighters with the strongest backs, they were measuring maximum torque of certain muscles like abdominals, the ab- ab- abdominal obliques, the spinal, the, per- the um, erector spinae, the, the muscles in the back. And they found that the strongest, that the firefighters with the strongest backs were the most likely to injure their back because they use their back as a, 
a for a a place to um, produce power, which mm. means movement with force, as opposed to transmitting the energy. Transmitting, right. yeah, yeah. So, like most many PTs that are and movement specialists in general who really are giving great education about this will will teach neutral spine because neutral spine is about having a coactive trunk, meaning all the muscles are kind of equally contributing. And to support the this, the link the you know upright spine, so that force that's coming through the bigger joints like your hip and your shoulders will be trans transmitted through the the torso, and it stabilizes that that force. Am I correct? Yeah, yeah. yeah so that's right. I mean, we're not to to bend. I think like to bend the the back like a credit card. I I always use that analogy. It kind of does that job. It it kind of you know it creates it, it creates a weak back and. And in John's case, um, it really set him up for, because um, he would go to the in range, you know, in scorpion handstand. I would say, if your feet never go in your head, that's probably a good thing, unless you're getting paid like a million dollars. Don't worry about it. Because to do that, some people have been doing it for, for many, many years, and they have, um, their the tissues around the front of the pelvis have adapted to it. And their spine actually doesn't, their low back in particular, doesn't really change that much. It's really that their pelvis is so open. That is not the normal case. Most people are bending in their um, lumbar spine and that is just, it's not made for that type of load um, of bending. And so, yeah, anyway, so you got injured in yoga and that was a huge bummer because yoga was, I think, kind of a replacement for running. But I have some yoga related questions that people sent in to me. And so sure. I, I, I know I have my answers for these and I think they'll be similar, but I'd love your opinion from also the perspective of having injured yourself. Yes. What is your opinion about deep forward folds? Uh, it's a mechanism for herniating your disc. Um, <laughs> that's the only way you can really herniate yeah. disc. Uh, it's either, it, it, sometimes there's from slump sitting over mm-hmm. time, uh, your, your, your tissue goes through something called hysteresis where, you know, when you have a rubber band and you stretch it, most of the time it'll snap back. But if you stretch it long enough, and for a long duration, over time, it loses its elastic properties and doesn't go back quite to the same length as before. That means it's, 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 it's adapted long. It's longer and less stiff than it used to be. And you want those connective tissues to be stiff enough to give yourself passive stability. So when you you know, slump sitting or stretching in yoga or... Especially I'll add, I think um, seated forward folds are really, oh, you know, I don't bad. do them. I don't teach them. Yeah. And I find, and that's very common in classical vinyasa, including ashtanga and seated forward folds. You're not having the ground reaction force up through the legs that give you any form of, or any chance to really, really support the musculature in your legs and then therefore up into the hips and the low back. And then you're loading the low back by um, folding forward. And often that's happening in the lumbosacral area anyway, instead of true hip flexion. So it's just, I also think they're boring. You're sitting all day, most people. Why do you need to get on the floor and then forward fold more? And if you think it feels good, that's because you're stretching out some other stuff. Your your fascia and there's other ways to do it. They're, They're... much more um, functional and healthy. Yeah, and sometimes when you feel good, it might a temporary feel good doesn't necessarily mean it's good for you. <laughs> yes, that's a great. It, 
Yeah, I mean, great that point. That happens a lot. Listen you, carefully, you, people. You stretch, yeah. and if you you kind of uh, you uh, stimulate the stretch receptors, and you it kind of feels good, but you're doing more damage in the long run. So sometimes uh, you have to be careful what feels good presently. Sometimes it can be good. Sometimes it can be bad later on. Sometimes you need a little soreness, like if you're building muscles, and you know you have to be very discriminating and what it means to feel good is something to feel painful or hurt. Um, uh, but stretching to the end ranges of the spine, you're just asking for trouble, especially if you also in the same practice, you extend the spine and you fold. Mm-hmm. That's how gymnasts, they, they actually fracture the connection between the vertebrae called pars interarticularis. All the excessive bending forward and backwards, it, the bone is very flexible. It is not like a rigid thing. It's, it bends and stuff. And so when you bend forward and backwards, that's, the, that's like the uh, coat hanger analogy. Yeah, or the credit bit, card, yeah. Credit yeah, card, yeah. eventually it breaks. And uh, so again, and a, the yeah, hip is yeah. really meant to do the folding. Yes. You have to be careful with the hip because people, different populations of people and different just genetic differences between people have different uh, hip uh, depths. Some have very deep hip sockets. Uh, Western Europeans and Scottish and English tend to have very hip socket, very deep hip sockets. Now, what that. is the evolutionary reason for that? I'm wondering. That's well, I didn't know that. That's interesting. There might not be sometimes even an evolutionary reason for something. Sometimes uh, certain traits get uh, get kind of fixed into a population uh, mm. from a small founding population. Uh, there's a uh, for example, the Finnish are uh, very good at cross-country skiing, and they have this certain allele or variation of a gene that keeps making red blood cells effusively. And, it, uh, and, oh. and that's because probably there's a small population uh, of people who don't have the full uh, variety of genes or uh, variations of different genes. They're called alleles. Um, and then one, maybe one of the founders had this one gene variant that made red blood cells a lot and it got fixed into the population. So sometimes things just happen by sheer, you know, small founding populations. And, uh, but, but okay, certain- so what, what were you saying? Okay, so go, we'll go back to what you were saying about not everybody's hip joints are... So, so a lot of Eastern Europeans have very shallow hip sockets. Mm-hmm. And that means they can, they're very, they make very good power lifters and Olympic lifters because they can easily squat. They also have uh, ancestors that are more um, adapted to the cold, which uh, is usually a, a broad torso, thick legs, short legs. That's a way to maximize volume um, and minimize surface area because you lose heat through the surface area. area you, you generate heat through volume, like the organs and muscles. So if you're adapted to a cold climate, uh, like a lot of these Eastern Europeans, it, it paid to have a long torso, a wide torso, short legs, and they maybe the shallow hip sockets has something to do with that too. Or oh, is so it, they should be able to press so up into na- a handstand easier. Well, they're naturally very good at <laughs> powerlifting. Yeah. They can get into a deep squat very mm-hmm. easily. But Eastern Europeans, I mean, Western Europeans tend to have, as a rule, not, not everyone, uh, deeper hip sockets. Maybe that was just... Maybe there's a, a reason, evolutionary reason. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's just the way it was more a chance. But they have, if you have a naturally deep hip, hip socket, you're not going to be able to get into a deep squat no matter how much you try. You'll get a kind of impingement of the, of the hip called a femoral 
acetabular impingement syndrome. So you have to be very, you have to treat different people differently. And uh, Mm -hmm. it's not one size fits all. And a lot of times people teach like you have to run with your feet pointing straight ahead. Well, that's not true. There's different ways that the bones twist and that might put your feet at a more out angle when the hip and knee is in a neutral position. So you wouldn't want to force a foot going forward. So you have to, human variation is a rule and that's a rule of evolution in I think itself. That's, yeah, and I think that's really important to remember in yoga because how a pose is presented should not be the be all end all. Um, there can be variations within a pose, especially ones that require this kind of deeper or like more, um, yeah, I guess it is, a, a more in-range joint motion. Right. And some people will just not ever quite get there. And forcing it is probably forcing other parts of the joint to move or, or be stressed, and that won't serve them either. That's No, it's uh, and the trick is to sometimes understand what's a structural issue, what's more of a, uh, a lack of range of motion, due to lifestyle and also to realize like having as much range of motion as possible is not necessary. It's not necessary. You need stability too. Mm-hmm. So you just need enough range of motion to do what you want to do. And anything extra is not necessarily great. Now yoga is very good. It can be like anything. It can be great. It can and be you love bad. my yoga, right, John? Large <laughs> yoga. Yeah. It's very, I like it a lot because it's very based on Getting stability. His, yeah. yeah. Uh, getting openness in the, you know, different areas like the hip, mm-hmm. uh, thoracic spine. And, uh, and it's, yeah. So it's, 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 uh, it's. I said that playfully because John is my brother and he's very loving, but he's also very uh, particular and critical in a good way. And so getting his stamp of approval, I, I know that I'm doing something right. Although I already knew it, but it's was extra, it's extra fun that he enjoys my classes Yes, um, I need yeah. to get back at it. <laughs> yes. I, and Megan says she's getting back at it too. <laughs> okay. We talked about that. Both of um, you, Megan's another PT. So one thing I want to convey to everybody out there is that don't be fearful of movement. Like we are movement lovers. And, and what um, I think both of us believe in is yoga is an amazing way of moving in all, in all different planes and all different ways, all the different joints. But let us get away. And this is my whole premise of redefining yoga. Of, of going to these in range or these extreme ranges as, as the way we should be practicing yoga instead of cultivating the sense of integration in the body, stability, like John was mentioning, and then mobilizing the joints that do tend to get kind of stuck because of our modern day life. But um, don't be fearful of movement, be joyful in it, and, and also stay away from practicing in, a, in any kind of lineage or with any kind of teacher who is 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 really drilling that going to the in range and and trying to get you into doing things that you you feel in your body um, are not going to be serving you long term because we want to be doing this practice for decades. All right, let me take a couple other questions that people send. A lot of people send a lot of questions. Uh, what would you say is how to get more improved body awareness other than yoga? Is very tricky because. Uh, you know, your posture becomes your, your, your brain and your spinal cord and all these, and that includes all the nerves that innervate all the joints. You have nerves all over the place that send information to your spinal cord and brain. And it, the body gets adjusted 
it get, what you what posture you hold is really kind of feels normal to you and that's obvious and so the, yeah your tissue changes to the posture that you hold or how you move and your 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 software the hardware changes but the software does too it becomes it feels normal the software you like for instance when people sprain their ankle they change the way they walk and certain muscles shoot shut off like the gluteal muscle sh- uh, shut off because of this different gait style. And they found that like many years later, people still have this gluteal amnesia is called from a sprained ankle. And the sprain, the ankle kind of already healed for the most part is, uh, but they still have. They've adopted and, another way of moving and they don't even, you don't even realize like you, you have, you could be walking with a limp and not even realize you're walking with a limp because your brain yeah, understands so, that as your And normal. sometimes it's also not even very, very subtle. And sometimes it's more obvious, like a limp. Sometimes it's very subtle that your knee goes in a little bit more when you go downstairs because, and so you, and, and so you have to, it, it's tricky. What they found- like feedback or something like- What they you know, found was that uh, for the most part, uh, external cues are mm-hmm. better than internal cues. And I have found this for myself when I went back to running. I used to think about, I've read so much about running that I used to almost like think about it too much as I run, which you shouldn't have to think at all because it's very quick and it's almost, your it, it, body will kind of find its rhythm naturally and it can look different with different people. But if you overthink what's happening in your body, what muscles contracting, how your joint are moving, where you should hit in the foot and stuff like that, which is not so important. But the point is, if you think too much internally, your body does not good at getting those cues. Right. Um, so for example, for you guys out there that what he's talking about, like if you're running and you're thinking, you know, land on the ball of the foot, push back with the calf, squeeze the glute. Um, those are external cues versus internal ones. Or those are internal I'm sorry, those cues. are internal cues versus yeah. external cues would be like drive your foot down into the ground or exactly. pull pull your knee up like you're gonna, you know, break something, you know, or, or, or just, be, so, be, be, or just, or sometimes with running, I found that you just run and you don't think about anything yeah. and, the, and the, the, the nervous system kind of figures out. And uh, sometimes uh, what's the most efficient way. Sometimes you can think about like noise is a good cue is the external cue, the, the sound of your foot. It shouldn't be that it shouldn't be a hard thud. That means you're over striding. You should, if you run correctly, and it can look different with different people. That's what you realize. Um, but with all, like for running, for instance, you shouldn't hear yourself. You should absorb that impact, the energy and impact. And, to, and it returns to and the return, body. It yeah. returns to the body. So it's a kind of a springy gait. Uh, or it, it's, a, it's, it's a, yeah, so it's, it's, it's a little bit of a spring. Mm-hmm. Um, you kind of tune your body tissues and sync in the same uh frequency as the impact. So it's all kind of like uh, in some ways quantum mechanics where, or music where different frequencies are in sync or out of sync and there's interference either constructive or deconstructive. But you want, you want, so it's more, so, so inter- external cues would be when I t- treat patients, like if I help them try to walk, I, I don't really, I, I either give them, I don't say, I used to say, okay, when the heel hits the ground, squeeze the butt and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But the thinking, was, it almost, it, it, it kind of ruined it because they were trying to think and it should be, it was very quick and very natural. And you, it really depends on momentum. Uh, mm-hmm. So I did things like just 
walk, uh, you know, just walk like you're in New York. You can kind of think of like images or sometimes mm-hmm. good, like, and they naturally start to have a little spring in their gait style. And that can be helpful. Yeah, that, I think that's, yeah. So we can overthink things, I think is the point. And, and in terms of, um, I think, body awareness, there are not only external cues, but external tactile cues too. Like I say, you know, if you're working on your posture and you know that you tend to really be hunchy, sitting in the car, use the back of the car seat as, as a, something to kind of press back into just to bring awareness to bring, bringing your front body into your back body, not thinking anything more than just can you merge like the vertical line of your front and the vertical line of your back and just pull them more together. Yeah. But using, you know, whether it's a wall or the chair, because if you don't know you're slumping, you're, you know, you can't fix it. You can't become more aware of it. So you, sometimes you need those, literally the external cues and external tactile cues. And, and you can use internal cues too. Mm-hmm. I mean, you try different yeah. things, different yeah. things work. The main thing is don't try too much. Try yeah. one thing. Think about one cue. And if you ever think things, it gets confusing. So yeah, so sometimes internal cues can be helpful. And it certainly can be helpful to have people know what's going on. Like just have a the accountability, some, some type, right. yeah, some type yeah. of edu- some, some awareness of why you're trying to do this. And, and then you try to, you experiment and certain things will work better with certain people. But yeah. a lot of it is just got to keep on doing it. Speaking, I like, do you have yeah. any, do you have any like particular, uh, like, uh, examples that you're thinking of? Oh, uh, you mean in terms of like what, um, awareness, body, body awareness? awareness? Yeah. Well, I'll just talk to people I know that work all day at a desk and I'll tell them, you know, put a little sticky note or something as a reminder to become aware because for them, they're so not aware and then yeah. they're they're in that not awareness for hours. So if they have like these little reminders to like, oh, I just need to kind of reestablish my posture for a yeah. couple of minutes. So it, my brain has has yeah. an awareness of that. So it, it can go like that. That's that can be very, yeah. to have, ex, to have like ex, these little external cues. memory uh, mm-hmm. or external brain. That's very yeah. helpful. A buzzer. It's like helpful. a habit. Yeah. 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 It's a habit you have to develop. And unfortunately we have to, we have to develop better habits for, for movement and for, for posture. You know? And it, does, and it has, doesn't have to be all or nothing. I no, mean, no. Yeah, 20% improvement is good. Yes, um, absolutely. So, so it, it's, it's a, and it's a process and you kind of find, and, and hopefully if you're in pain because of the way you, you know, different postures and you start improving it a little bit and you start feeling better, that's the best, that's the best way to reinforce it. Oh yeah. Um, That's the the whole habit, the the brain understanding like, wow, this is a positive feedback loop. I want to do more of that. Yes. And that's, that's what you want to do. And that's what I try to establish to take away the I see a patient in pain because uh, my uh, muscular pain, joint pain, I've, I try to investigate what triggers it the most and try to take those triggers away as much as I can in their daily life. That's the most important thing. Exercises are generally a little bit later um, or, or, or I've- Or you, you layer it or something. You yeah. layer it. And sometimes mm-hmm. you need a few exercises as to get wake up a muscle, for instance, or just to work on the hip hinge, a pattern, a certain mm-hmm. aspect of a, of, of a movement like bending from the hips instead of the back. Or uh, what I think is, you know, for instance, when people, even if they say bend from the hips, not the back, and they tend to bend from the hips, but they don't draw their 
femoral heads back mm-hmm. into their sockets. That's using your iliacus and psoas. So instead, they kind of uh, they kind of tip over like a tippy bird, mm-hmm. and uh, they overuse their lower back to keep them upright. That's not really true. The osteokinematically, which means the bones are moving, there's a hip flexion, uh, and there's no back flexion. That that is it's that, on his passive. You're sounds- almost letting gravity help you tip. That's right. Versus driving it. Uh, your, not, not that, I mean, hip flexion has obviously some, potential. like if you're folding forward, there's some uh, gravitational aspect, but but actually you could use gravity as a, um, like you're talking about with the iliacus, like really pulling that femur back is, you could, you're using gravity almost as a, um, not necessarily as a force that you're moving against, but it certainly isn't helping you because you're going in a different direction. We're getting really anatomy geeky here, people. So what we're really talking about is when you forward fold, this is for the yoga people. Yeah. And there are so many variations of it. And and this is not about those uh, Instagram things where it's like X, don't do it this way. Check, do it this way. There are a lot of different ways of folding forward. But sure. if you want to do it for many, many years, know that the hips are made to do it for trillions of cycles. Whereas your low back, is not necessarily going to respond the same way. Your hips literally could do it in this um, very strong flexion way where you're, the thigh bone, either when you bend, when you fold forward, your, your thigh bone is either going to move forward into your knee or it's going to move back into your hip joint. That's what we're kind of aiming for. So if people bend and they're, and they're folding forward and their knees go forward, well, that's telling you that they're not going, the hip joint is not actually... Um, flexing, yes. right? Yes. So, but the other op- the other thing people do is just kind of tip the pelvis over the thigh bone without moving the femoral head back in space. So these are all things be a lot easier to show you, but what you want to, I've done this before on Instagram, is like stuff your femur back into the, the kind of like the cave of the pelvis. That's where you want to stuff it back because that is a healthy um, femoral head mo- motion. It stays what's called centrated in the joint. And it, it could do that trillions of times and your back will be supported and you, you're having this wonderful grand reaction force up through the legs that ha, that's not getting leaked energy anywhere. So that's what we're talking about. Um, and we're getting all geeky about it, but it is important, especially in yoga where we do so many of these forward folds, but it is a great um, movement to do for life because we're going to be folding forward. Hopefully, as I always say, I want to tie my own shoes mm and tie them, not put on Velcro sneakers um, well into my hundreds. And I don't want to have to um, think about it, you know, think about how can I fold over and get to the ground or fold well, over and get to my feet. It's amazing that you want to get to a hundred. That's very- uh, I'm ambitious. Very, that's very he, ambitious. John knows I'm extremely competitive. <laughs> yes. Well, I would say too, that what this shows you too, that sometimes you have to get personalized. You can't just read something yes. in the- yeah. You know, if you allow the, if you just kind of tip forward, even though your spine is straight, mm-hmm. it's really loaded because right now your center mass is going in towards the front of the foot. That means you have to stabilize against gravity. And so you really, your lumbosacral area, yeah. you'll feel the whole uh, lower back muscles contract uh, to keep you from. Uh, to keep you from tipping over. Now that puts a lot of compressive forces on your spine. So uh, even though uh, that's better than rounding, it's unnecessary compressive forces. But if you think about, you just want to keep your center of pressure in the middle of the foot. Mm, this, mm-hmm. And you, so if your trunk goes forward, something has to counterbalance it. And you want that, the hips 
the hip, the uh, the femur heads, the the hips going back, the femoral, the the ball of the, the ball. hips mm-hmm. going back. Otherwise, you're gonna either kind of have to really excessively contract the low back muscles to keep you from being tipped over because your center of mass is now towards the toes instead of in the middle of the foot. Or you'll tend to do something, you'll move at the ankle instead. So you'll kind of what we do, plantar flexion is called, where the, uh, the shins should be vertical. The shins will move backwards a little bit. That leads so, to hyperextension too. And it leads to hyperextension yeah. of, and of, the, um, of, of, of the knees, knees usually. Yeah. And you're, now you're shifting your weight a little bit to the heels. But if you think about- And then the big bang is when you- then your your hamstrings pull and you're like, oh, okay. So, and then you round in the spine. So you know that, that you can imagine this look, hyperextended knees, weight is going back. And then there's this big gap between your thighs and your belly because you're, you, you've, yeah. you've rounded in your low back. Um, even if you then round, you're still not- You're still loading it. Yeah. Think about a basketball player. If they say, uh, if they quickly get into a defensive stance, they pull their hips down and back. That's, uh, that's the iliacus. So it's called what we call- um, uh, inertial mass. So you're not actually, it's confusing because you're going in the same direction as gravity, but to do it quickly, you have to accelerate the mass. So that's F, F equals MA. That's for uh, Newton's second law, one of the most second, or first or second most famous uh, physics equation. But what it means is even if you go in the same direction as gravity, even if you're on the moon or you're in space with no gravity, to move a piece of mass, to accelerate it from you know, speeding up, slowing down, or just getting it moving, you have to apply force. force so, yeah. so if you picture a basketball player getting ready for quickly in the defensive stance, they pull their hips back or they pull, and that's what you, that's, that's how you want to get into forward fold, even, even if you don't have to do even it quickly. Even if you don't pop back, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's that, and, and that's a very neglected muscle. Uh, the glutes are getting more loved, uh, and they should have. That, but they're getting their recognition, their importance. But the iliacus and so as the special. iliacus. By, by the way, for those of you who are who are still with us, <laughs> who haven't tuned out, <laughs> the iliacus is part of the iliopsoas. So we also often hear about the psoas, but the psoas is actually um, a two part muscle that be, create, is you know creates the iliopsoas, and the iliacus is on the. In inner rim of the pelvis, and and um, yes. it is responsible for that action of the pulling the femoral head back. And yeah, it's a key. It's a key muscle, and a general principle are muscles that are closer to the joint that have insertions very close to the joint that are usually a little bit deeper. Rotator cuff muscles, mm-hmm. some of the uh, kind of uh, uh, transverse deep abdominal, hip, deep, yeah, deep, deep, deep hip external mm-hmm. rotators. The iliacus, they have they preserve good what we call movement patterns. They keep the ball squarely in the center of the socket. And that's when you're talking about ball and socket joints, that's the name of the game. That centration. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we're going to have a whole conversation about centration. So you're going to have to just be on the edge of your seat for that because um, that will give you an idea of how to ha- develop healthy movement patterns in your shoulder and in your hip. Um, we're going to close this off by asking Johnny here, um, What besides running, what movements do you enjoy? Do you think are great for, like somebody said, give me five moves that people should do every day. <laughs> but um, what are, what would you suggest like for yourself or for other people? So, so a variety of movements good, but mm-hmm. if you want kind of, uh, everyone should do their equivalent of a deep squat. squat. Now mm-hmm. it might not go all the way down. It's going to look different, 
but they groove. You do that every day and you don't lose that flexibility and you groove that, that important squat pattern because everyone squats. Yeah. Whether you know or not, when you mm-hmm. sit down in a chair, when you go to the toilet, when you pick up something from the floor, and that can either break you or it can make you. So if you want to- And it preserves those uh, the flexion of the ankle, knee, and hip, which you does. need. And if you don't, if one of those, especially in the ankle and knee, if, that you, if something is affected, um, or I should say in the ankle and hip, it'll affect the knee. Definitely. Um, so anyway, squat. Okay, yeah. that's one. So that's- uh, Squat with I, your heels down, please. Okay. And I would say single leg stance. So mm-hmm. they found that that is a, a, uh, is a correlate of basic balance. Um, so if you have poor balance, that might show yourself as you get older, or just even, even if you're a young person playing soccer and you can't stand on one leg, that will generally indicate that you don't have a, a basic competence and stability on one leg. Oh my goodness, we, don't, we want that competence. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not, it's not at the end all, but they found no, that if you can, like that. but if you, so just a couple. Like, an air, fa- like a warrior uh, three or airplane type move. Or even yeah. stand one leg while you're yeah. brushing your teeth. Yeah. I mean, I mean mm-hmm. just be, and be able to close your eyes. I mean, mm-hmm. if you can stand one leg and close your eyes for 30 seconds, uh, work up to a minute, but just that you can fit that throughout the day. Mm-hmm. Um, it's easy to do, but it can pay dividends. The amount of time you put in, can pay, uh, it's like flossing your teeth. It's kind of, it's easy to neglect, but if you if you make sure that you can stay on one leg and especially with eyes closed, it will really help. And at, balance is a, mul- there's so many things that affect balance, so many systems, and they all unfortunately get worse as we get older. Mm-hmm. We're not like wine, unfortunately. <laughs> and so yeah, to work on that, but you, the Speak good news is yourself. you can- Nine, we're the 19 yeah. somethings. I mean, we're not going to say our birth date. Okay. But, but yeah. it, it is, that's, that's, I think that's, that's important. Mm-hmm. I think. Number three. Walking. Walking oh, is the yeah. most underrated activity. It's a great way to stretch we're, out the hips. We're born to walk. We're born yeah. to walk. It's, it's pleasant. If you go out in nature, it's very pleasant. It's very good for your psyche. Mm-hmm. So walking, you know, even if you don't have time during the day, just throughout, you know, walk, you know, park away from the shopping uh, grocery store. Mm-hmm. Consciously fit in walking, uh, including stairs. If you work upstairs, you know, you go up a building, don't take the uh, elevator. It's kind of basic stuff, but the Fitbit, I'm not really a gadget guy, but the Fitbit can be very good. Yeah. Because it really keeps you accountable. It keeps mm-hmm. you accountable. And I think that's helped a lot of people. And it, and it kind of helps you. It, People realize, God, I really don't do much. I don't, I don't walk around much. But it's very, uh, especially if you go outside in nature, and yeah. it's very good mentally and physically. So walking, <laughs> squatting, single leg stance, walking. Um, I, one thing that people really lose a lot of times in their life is shoulder flexibility. Yeah, that has to do somewhat with their their posture and their rib cage and their shoulder blade and the ball and socket joint, the shoulder. So just trying to kind of maintain full range of motion. Uh, sometimes it's you have to kind of you got to work on it, but doing stuff like sliding the arm up the wall. The uh, down dog is a great way to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, down dogs are excellent, uh, actually, really for is. your thoracic yeah. spine, for your scapula and shoulder flexibility. So down dog would be great. Um, but keeping that full range of motion because people lose it. And a lot of times they lose it, not only in the ball and socket joint, but the scapula, the thoracic joint. The scapula is not able to get around uh, the rib cage, which it needs to do. 
And uh, lastly, I, I would say a variety, as a kind of a cop-out, uh, a variety of movement. Yeah. So do different things. Like um, skipping or like side skipping, lunging. Skipping, yeah, or, yeah, have know, fun. And just have, you know, have fun, play walking. games. Yeah. yeah, just do different activities. The more movement competence you have in different activities, what will happen is your, your body will, your body gets much more efficient at realizing what, in all aspects. So, uh, you know, and that's not only for kids who specialize early, you don't really want to do that. But even adults, you want to be able to do a variety of activity. And as we get older, honestly, everyone should be work intensely to keep their muscle strength up. Yeah. Um, I, I'm kind of guilty. So, I mean, and, and I, I used to lift weights. Now I'm running more. And so I'm tired. I, you know, I want to do other stuff. I need to get back to weightlifting, but uh, it's very important that you, in a safe manner, Mm -hmm. yoga is very good with this. Mm -hmm. It can really work the strength a lot, uh, but also lifting weights and with good form and really, uh, lifting hard. You use kettlebells a lot, right? I used to, I think kettlebells are great and you don't have to get too fancy, but you can just, uh, kind of, you know, hold the weight, do, do chair squats, uh, you know, um, there's, you have to do it in a supervised way. I think it works better if you don't use machines, but machines, even machines are better than nothing if you do it correctly. Yeah. But you have to keep your strength and power up because that really declines as we get older. I'm talking because I'm almost 50 and I, I can- John, I, But anyway- <laughs> We're not related. No, just kidding. <laughs> sorry. But anyway, uh, well, you should be proud. Well, because, yeah, uh, you're I in know. Great we're, shape, we're kicking so. ass. We're kicking ass. So. But, but that's important. Yeah. Do something, mm-hmm. variety of stuff and do something. Don't be afraid to safely, under a supervised person who knows what they're doing, if to introduce you to some type of activity. Yoga is a great way to build strength. Uh, but to really uh, ch- keep, you know, up the, yeah. keep up the strength and uh, in power, power right. is yeah, yeah, the, the power and explosive explosiveness, power, right? Um, like plyo is great for that, and, and yeah. things like that. Well, um, we could obviously talk all day, and John, this is what John and I do. We just kind of geek out and talk about this stuff. But we'll do it for you guys now. So we'd love to hear what other questions you have for John when he comes back, and um, any other questions about movement that you have for me or injuries or physical therapy or running. I know that we did get a lot of running questions that we didn't even get into. So we'll get into that next time. But thank you so much for your first podcast with yeah, me, John. Yeah, I, really, I enjoyed that. Yeah. It's, it's good to see you as well. <laughs> now I let's am, go have dinner. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Signing off here. Thank you very much. Love from me and all the way to you. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.